Again, we'll be reading in Luke chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible tells us, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your, of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Luke, once again, is confirming our faith by telling us and teaching us everything he can about Jesus, about the life of Jesus, about the teachings of Jesus. The idea here is that the more that you know about Jesus, the stronger your faith will be, the greater your faith will be. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we should love him. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we should trust him. The more we learn about Jesus, the more our lives should be transformed as our lives become conformed to who he is. Brother Jim brought a powerful Sunday school message this morning when he talked about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, about being more Christ-like, about being like Jesus. And what was Jesus like? He was self-sacrificial love. He was sacrificing his life for the redemption of his people. And likewise, we are to sacrifice our lives for the cause of Christ. And the cause of Christ is the discipleship and the spiritual growth of each other, which is what Paul did in, in Philippians chapter 2. At least that's what I was getting as I went on a reading tangent while you were teaching, Brother Jim. Um, but the more you know about Jesus, the greater your faith. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. 72 disciples. He sends them into the villages. And there are a few key details here. He doesn't just send them out and say, hey, y'all go out some places, come back and tell me how it went. He sent them to the villages in which he was going to go. And the reason he sent them into the villages where he was planning to travel was because he wanted to prepare the people to meet him. He wanted to prepare the people for his arrival. These disciples that had been sent out are sent out, they're on a mission to prepare the people of these villages to meet Jesus, to receive Jesus. And likewise, we are sent out to prepare people to meet Jesus, to lead people to salvation, to teach people the gospel. We are sent out to prepare people for the second coming of Christ because Christ is coming back. He will step foot on this earth again. He will establish his kingdom on earth. Yes. And our mission here is to prepare people for that day. The question is not whether you will be a missionary. You already are. Yes. 
If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are a missionary. And the message that you are carrying out is the life you live, the words you speak, the, the words you speak. I, 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 I talk pretty good. The words you speak, the testimony you give, and the testimony you live. The question is not whether you will be a missionary. You are a missionary. That's why we're called Missionary Baptist, okay? The question is, what kind of missionary will you be? And when it comes to being a missionary, when it comes to the Great Commission, when it comes to spreading the gospel and accomplishing the work of the Lord, the Lord has given us a formula. He has given us a formula to follow. You know, when I was trying to get on with State Farm as an agent, they, you got to write a business plan, all right? And then they teach you how to write the business plan. But God has already written the business plan. He already has written the marketing program. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, go, and by the way, Jesus before this, he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm in charge now. And therefore, I'm going to tell you this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The first thing Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 28 is to go and make disciples. What does it mean to make a disciple? How do you make a disciple? To make a disciple, you are teaching someone to follow and learn from Jesus. How do you do that? You do that through mentorship. We like to say we're discipling people. I'm discipling others. What does that mean? It means you're mentoring them. We are called to mentor. There is a place for witnessing. There is a place for sharing the gospel with complete strangers. There is a place for broadcasting the gospel, whether you are doing that online, whether you're doing that through radio. I was listening to Jay Vernon McGee on my way back from East Texas this week, and he was doing a question and answer. And one of the questions, I don't remember what the question was, but his answer is, bear in mind, this is the 1960s, okay? His answer was, I believe the best way of spreading the gospel throughout the whole world at this point in time is radio. And so that was J. Vernon McGee's ministry. He was spreading the gospel throughout the world in radio. But he also said, and this was, this was quite spooky, he also said, but God's the one that determines the means by which we spread the gospel. He said sometime in the future there may come another media, another method, another way of spreading the gospel throughout the entire world. And I couldn't help but think about everything that's going on on the internet. You know, and, and, and God creates those opportunities. There is a place and a purpose, and a command to broadcast the gospel, to preach the gospel. But we are called beyond leaving tracks in the restroom at Bucky's. We are called beyond knocking on random strangers' door. We're called to do those things, but we're called beyond those things. We are called to be making disciples, to mentor people, to walk alongside someone and to guide them, to lead them. To teach them, to pray over them, to pray with them. We are called to mentor people. And we are called to baptize those who come to faith. Luke builds our faith by teaching us as much as he can about Jesus. And just as Luke is building our faith by teaching us as much as he can about Jesus, we are to enable others' faith by teaching them as much as we can about Jesus and by teaching them everything that Jesus has taught us. That is the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. That's what it is.
We mentor, we baptize, we teach. That's the Great Commission. And we can accomplish the Great Commission without holding one single church outreach event. We can accomplish the Great Commission without sending out one missionary. Now you say, Brother Leland, no, we're, we're holding outreach events and we're sending out missionaries. But I'm telling you, we can accomplish the Great Commission without doing those things. How do we do that? That's each individual member of this church taking it upon themselves to mentor someone else in the faith. And this means that you're willing to invest in someone, invest the time, invest the energy, even if they're not coming to church. Even if you don't think they'll ever come to church, there is still a value to mentoring someone in the faith. Well, Brother Leland, they'll never come to church. It's, well, that's short-sighted, guys. Let's have an eternal perspective. Maybe you mentor someone for a while and they leave, and then years later you find out that they got into a church somewhere, that they grew spiritually. That's what it's about. It's an ongoing process. The transformation is ongoing in me. The transformation is ongoing in you. The transformation is ongoing in them. We're to play a part in it. We can accomplish the Great Commission without a church budget, without outreach events, without advertising, without sending out missionaries, if each and every member of this church is engaged in mentoring others. Amen. The reason, the reason we hold outreach, the reason we send out missionaries, the reason I post stuff on Facebook is to bring us into contact with more people that we can mentor. That's what we're looking to do. Yes. Broadcasting the gospel and evangelism is an effort to find more people to disciple. An effort to find more people to mentor. Missions and Great Commission work. That's the introduction, by the way. How y'all doing? Missions and Great Commission work requires us to understand three things. And for this, we're going back to our passage in Luke chapter 10. We need to understand three things. First, we need to understand the harvest, yes. okay? The harvest, the nature of the harvest. Everything we need to know about the harvest, we need to understand the harvest. What does it mean to harvest? We need to understand the concept of commitment, and that's a big one, because a lot of people don't understand commitment anymore. We live in a throwaway society. We spend $1,000 on a television, and the second that that screen starts to go out, we throw it away and we buy another $1,000 television. That's the society we live in. You get married, it goes bad. You know, you, you, your car breaks down, it's time to trade it in on a newer model. Um, you know, I went to my grandfather's house, and <laughs> he had one of those old console televisions, you know, the one that was a piece of furniture? Yeah. And then on top of that one was another TV. Because the console TV quit working after 40 years. And so it was too heavy to pull out of there. So he just went to Walmart, bought a little 19-inch TV, and put it on top of it. The bottom TV still worked good enough to watch football. So he could watch two football games at one time. He was living the high life, let me tell you. But I thought about that, you know. TVs would last a family, a generation. Up, and, up until it broke, we were watching the same TV Jessica watched when she was a little girl. We don't understand commitment anymore as a society. We don't. And TVs have nothing to do with commitment, but we don't understand commitment anymore. We need to understand commitment. And we need to understand the message. Because if we do all this mentoring, we do all this mission work, we do all this great commission stuff, and we're not carrying the, the, the message of the gospel, we're not doing this, teaching people the gospel, and leading people to redemption through the gospel, we're missing the point. 
I can sit down and give people financial advice all day long, but without the gospel, all of that is a loss. So first, let's look at the harvest. Jesus said in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. What this means is there's plenty of work to be done. There are plenty of people to disciple. There are plenty of people to mentor. There are plenty of souls who need the gospel. And you know what else? There are plenty of souls who will respond to the gospel. All right. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, let me tell you something. I can plant a field of corn, but if there's no ears of corn on on those corn stalks, that's not a plentiful harvest. There may be plenty of work in plowing and sowing, and then when I drive the harvester through there, there may be plenty of work on that end. There's plenty of work to do. We can all agree on that. But if there's no ears of corn, that was not a plentiful harvest, was it? If you invested in that farm with me, you're going to be like, Leland, I don't think you know what you're doing. Okay? But Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. So there are plenty of souls to disciple. There is plenty of work to be done. And there are plenty of people who will receive the gospel. In other words, this is going to be worth our effort. A harvest is not plentiful if it's not worth harvesting. This harvest is worth harvesting. It's worth us going out in the field and harvesting this harvest, okay? There are plenty of souls who will receive the gospel. Now, it is easy to fall into a scarcity mentality. And the scarcity mentality is there's not enough to go around. The scarcity mentality is it's not going to work. The scarcity mentality says there are few people who will respond to the gospel. Or it may be that there are too few people who need the gospel. That is the scarcity mentality. That is the belief that the harvest is scarce. But Jesus did not say the harvest is scarce. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Now how do people who have the scarcity mentality, how do they express that they believe that the harvest is going to be scarce? They'll say things like, there are already too many churches in town. That means we're over church. There's not enough customers for the outlets, okay? There's too many churches in town. That's a scarcity mentality. Or you may hear this. Everyone knows where the church is located. Uh-huh. We've been here for 50 years. Well, we haven't been here for 50 no. years. But, you know, this particular church has been here for 50 years. Everybody knows where we are. That means that you think that you have come into contact and ministered with every possible person in your town and you believe you don't believe there's any opportunity. That's a scarcity mentality. But this mentality runs contrary to the words of Christ. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. In the book of Matthew, he said the harvest is truly plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. God wants us in an abundance mentality. Meaning that we understand that there are plenty of souls to disciple. That there are plenty of people to mentor. And that there are plenty of people, enough people to make it worth the effort, who will come to know the Lord as their Savior through the ministry of the gospel. The abundance mentality means that we understand this is worth our time. This is something worthy of being invested in. The abundance mentality also teaches us that we need other churches in town. We're not in competition with the other Baptist churches. We're not in competition with the other, with the other Christian churches. Okay, we need the other churches in town in order to receive the harvest. Okay, when you're, when you're looking at 500 acres of corn planted out in that field, can you harvest all of that before it all goes bad by yourself? 
You cannot. You need help. Even if you got an international harvester tractor, you need a buddy with an international harvester tractor, okay? You need help because if you do not get in that field and harvest it on time, what happens? You lose the harvest, okay? So the abundance mentality, the harvest is plentiful, okay? There are plenty of souls to disciple. There are lots of them out there, lots who will respond to the gospel, and we need help reaching them. So the presence of other churches in town is not a threat to our finances, our mission, or our church growth. We need them because the ultimate goal here is to reach people with the gospel, disciple them, and minister to them. We need the other churches in town to be busy with great commission work if we are to reach everyone that God has called us to reach. The abundance mentality tells us that there are plenty out there that we need the help of our sister churches and that the laborers are few. Okay, there's plenty of harvest. We're shorthanded. The issue is not a lack of souls to save. God does the saving. That is inherent in everything I say, okay? The issue is not the lack of souls to save. The issue is the lack of workers to disciple or to mentor the lost. We don't have workers working the harvest. And most Christians aren't doing it. Most Christians are not doing it. All right? We're not doing it. Survey your last week. Your last week. Look at the time you spent. Put your little spreadsheet together in your mind. How much time did I spend doing this, doing that? How much time did I spend mentoring others toward faith? And I'm looking at my little mental spreadsheet. I'm going to tell you the number is embarrassing to me. To me. Okay, I'm judging myself, not you. Okay? How's your number? And you don't have to tell me. I'm just trying to make you aware. What we need to do is we need to start paying attention and being intentional about how we spend our time about how we spend our money, about how we invest the life that God has given us. You go through the day-to-day, and you're trying to get through the day, you're trying to get through your to-do list, and you're just trying to survive. What we have to do is we have to step back, and we have to assess what we're doing and look at it objectively. And are we following our stated values and our stated principles? And if we're not doing it, if we're not doing it, If we're not mentoring others toward faith, what makes us think anybody else is? By sending the 72 out, Jesus called his disciples to action. And through the Great Commission, as quoted in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we've been called to action. You don't have to pray about whether or not God wants me to disciple somebody. Because you've already been told in writing. I used to make the joke that if God ever called me to Clovis, New Mexico, he needed to put that in writing. All right. Well, this is a call that God has put into writing. The Great Commission. We have the call in writing, and it is a standard order. You don't have to pray about whether or not to go and disciple somebody because you have already been called in writing to do so. We've been called to action. It's a standing order. Jesus says, go therefore... And teach all nations. In our passage today, he sends them out. He tells them the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. You say, well, he doesn't order the people he's sending out to harvest. No, because the assumption is they will harvest. The assumption is they will go to work. And the assumption that the Lord has for us is that we will go to work. 
Therefore, in verse 2, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Not only are we to be busy doing the harvest, but we are to pray for God to send more help. Amen. And what does this look like? It looks like us praying for God to grow our church. That's what it looks like. It looks like us praying for God to help us find a missionary for Barstow. That's what that looks like. Yes. It looks like us praying for other churches of like faith in our community to grow. So we, we'll pray for God to send more souls to us, to send people for us to disciple, to send people for us to minister and to witness to. We'll also pray for God to send us more workers, more people who can get involved in the Great Commission. But we're also praying for the church down the road to grow. Amen. And if that church down the road is bigger than us, then our prayer is that we never grow as big as them because as we grow, they grow. Amen. Okay? We're not trying to gain market share. We're, we're not trying to get a bigger piece of the pie. We want a bigger pie. And they can still have the bigger piece, but we want a bigger pie. Amen. Praying for new churches of like faith to be started. Yes. And you know what? We can pray that prayer for Barstow too. Mm -hmm. That's abundance mentality, brothers and sisters. That's abundance mentality. We have a great harvest before us. A plentiful harvest. The Lord has told us the harvest is plenty. We have plenty of opportunity. The issue is not the lack of opportunity. The issue is the lack of workers. Pray for the harvest. Pursue the harvest. Pray for the workers. That's the harvest. We need to understand that. Amen. Churches become hopeless and they dry up and they die when they look at their community and they don't think that they can win anybody out of that community because we've already tried everything. And everybody knows where the church house is. Nobody's coming. There's too many churches in town. We don't have a praise band as good as that other church down the road. That other church has a better looking preacher. Their building is nicer. They have a gymnasium. And we, and we go through all these different things. And there's so many reasons why our church can't grow. And so we give up. And we're just like, well, it's just, we're just the final few faithful. It's just going to hold on until Jesus comes back. That's the day the church dies. That's the day the candlestick gets taken away. We cannot have that scarcity mentality. We will never be the biggest church in early Texas. Okay? We will never be the biggest church in... Bre we may not even be the biggest church in East early Texas. Okay? That's okay. We disciple and minister to those whom God has given us. We stay faithful to that. Yes. And we understand the harvest is that there's plenty of opportunity, that there are plenty of souls, and this is worth our time. Secondly, we need to understand the concept of commitment. Now, I'm not trying to get on to y'all about this, but we do need to understand commitment. Jesus says, I'm going, to, I'm going to mention this real quick. Jesus says in verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. This tells us not to allow ourselves to be swayed by finances. How much will it cost is a legitimate question to ask. But... Deciding not to take action because we do not have how much it costs in our back pocket is not a legitimate course of action. Let me tell you something. The richest, the richest men in the, in the world, the richest men in the United States, they didn't start out with $20 billion and go around spending it. They started, a lot of them started with very little. Yes. They, they, they saw an opportunity and they pursued it. And, they pers and, and let me tell you something. If they can pursue a secular enterprise with nothing and step out on faith on a secular enterprise that God may or may not have been into, then we can step out into God's work without having all the money in our back pocket. Okay? We do not let finances sway us. 
we are wise with finances. We don't do, you know, we're not going to sign a $2 million note and not have an ability or a plan to pay it. We're going to make wise decisions. But the fact that we don't have all the money in our back pocket, we're not going to let that sway us. Okay, because Jesus told his disciples to carry no money, no, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to be witnessing to people? If you witness people, aren't you supposed to greet them on the road? What this is talking about is being distracted. Right. We're not going to be distracted from the mission. We're not going to be distracted from the ministry God's given us, okay? So let's get back to this concept of commitment. Verse 7, Jesus says, and pay special attention to this. We, we skip over this phrase. And remain in the same house. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Mm -hmm. Do not go from house to house. Jesus says, remain in the same house. Amen. Be committed mm -hmm. to whom you've been called to serve. Do not easily abandon, folks. Remain in the same house. Mm -hmm. Be willing to invest time and energy into people. And don't go from house to house. Don't be looking for the bigger, better deal. Okay, don't be, oh, well, I'm in this house, but that house has air conditioning. And so I'm going to leave these people and go to the people that have air conditioning. Okay, for pastors, for pastors, this means to not be looking for that church that has a better budget a better program, a better music ministry, or shall I say a better salary. You know, pastors are not to be looking for the bigger, better deal. Pastors are to be committed to their people, okay? Remain in the same house. This means that you're not easily offended, that you're willing to invest that time long-term into somebody to mentor them because when you're talking about this level of Great Commission work where you're making disciples, where you're mentoring people, that's a long-term effort. So be committed, and don't go from house to house. You know, when you're going from house to house, you want to talk about people. You know, I've, I've, there are pastors that they go from church to church. And they talk about their churches. And that church had that problem. That church had that problem. By the way, if you ever talk to a pastor and he's telling you about how rotten his church is, he'll be saying the same thing about you in about six months, okay? That's just, that, that's, not, that's not a virtue, all right? Um... But what, what do you do when you go from house to house and you're gossiping about people? What are you doing? You're playing people against each other. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go house to house. You know, I'm convinced that God's people would be more effective at the Great Commission if we were more committed to people. If we were more committed to people. Unfortunately, I think in many cases, God's people lack that commitment to people. They may commit to a cause, they may commit to a church, they may commit to a ministry, but do they commit to people? I think we'd be a lot more effective if we looked at it in terms of committing to people and not so much as committing to a cause or committing to a church. Jesus said, remain in the same house. Mm -hmm. That calls for commitment. And finally, we need to understand the message. Had a conversation with one of my nephews this week, and he was wanting to get a job so he could go out and buy things. And I've had these same conversations with my son, and so I'm, I, I feel the need to have conversations with my kids and with my nieces and nephews that I didn't have had with me when I was their age. Nobody shared these things with me. 
And so I'm talking to them, and I'm talking to them about finances. I'm talking to them about savings. I'm talking to them about assets. I'm talking to them, to them about wise financial decisions. And I was talking to one of my nephews this week, and we had talked about those things, those financial things, and I told him. I said, listen, I've given you some good advice. And if you follow my advice and get rich, but you don't know Jesus, you're still broke and you lost everything. And he said, Uncle, my sister calls me Bubba. And the tragic irony of that is my, my nieces and nephews call me Uncle Bubba. <laughs> so he says, so I want to give context to this. He says, Uncle Bubba, I know Jesus. He says, I believe in Jesus. I know the Lord. I'm go- I know where I'm going when I die, and I know why. I said, okay, next step, you stay close to him. Yes. As long as you're close to him, everything will be working out. Amen. That's mentoring, guys. Yes. I already told you I don't do enough of that. I did a little bit, okay? If we fail to center all of this around the gospel... We've accomplished nothing and we've lost everything. That's right. In verse 9, Jesus says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Mm-hmm. Now, in my younger days, I'd talk about how we don't believe in miraculous healing anymore. And I've, I've been turned on that a little bit. I've seen God do some pretty amazing things. But when we talk about healing, we need to understand that the, we're talking here about physical ministry. Ministry to the physical person. Okay, And so healing, be mindful of the physical needs of the people that you're ministering to and minister to those physical needs as you have opportunity, as you are able. Okay, spiritual needs, because not all healing is physical healing. Sometimes people are struggling and they're hurting spiritually. Sometimes people are struggling and they're hurting emotionally. Sometimes people are struggling and they're hurting psychologically. Okay, they're sick. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They're sick. They're sick. They're hurting. They're injured. They're, they're scarred. They're, they've got trauma. Heal them. Minister to those things. And preach the, preach the message. Jesus says in this passage, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Right. Jesus in other passages said that the kingdom is at hand, that the kingdom is coming. And when Jesus preached that the kingdom is coming, that the kingdom of God is at hand, what was the message that Jesus preached with that? What did he tell people to do? He said, repent and believe the gospel. We have got to be on message, and the gospel is a message. How Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he redeemed us, that he forgave us, that he removed the stain of sin and the guilt and the scar of guilt and and doubt and, and condemnation. He removed that from us. We have had that lifted from our shoulders. We have been redeemed from that. That he was buried, that he was completely dead. He didn't just pass out and then wake up a little bit later. He died to death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, the death that comes as the wages of sin, Jesus Christ took that upon himself. Yes. He died the death on our behalf. And he rose again the third day, opening the gates of heaven, giving us eternal life and, and giving us access to the kingdom where we can enter that golden city, that golden strand, that crystal clear water that I hear people sing about, and that tree of life there in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. He's done all that for us. We need to stay on message. It's so easy to get distracted. Yes. To get distracted. 
you know, again, listening to Jay Vernon McGee on the way home from East Texas this week, and he's, he talked about the gospel. I'm like, oh, my goodness, because I'd already written this message. Yeah. You know, and, I'm, and he's like, the church, and he's, again, he's 1966, 1967, I don't know. He referenced, uh, he referenced Secretary McNamara and President Johnson in his, in his sermon, okay? I mean, he's back there a little ways. And he tells us, he says, the church has busied itself in so many endeavors that it has forgotten its main business of spreading the gospel. And he said, if the church will get the gospel out to the people, the gospel will transform the people, and the people will get the food to the hungry. Because the gospel will transform them to where they will feed the hungry. He said the church needs to be about the business of spreading the gospel. Never forget the gospel. Never underestimate the gospel. The gospel is the point and the basis for everything we do. And I'm going to tell you, the gospel is the point and the basis for everything we are to teach. I posted in a preacher's forum one day. I said, guys, we need to get back on the gospel. We need to center our preaching, our teaching on the gospel. And one preacher goes, I've been taught and I believe that we should preach the whole counsel of God. Well, I believe that. But the gospel is not just one part of the whole counsel of God. No. The gospel is the basis yes. for the whole gospel of God. Amen. Everything you teach out of the Bible is rooted in the gospel. Amen. Everything. Even Jesus wept is rooted in the gospel. Stay on message. Yes. God wants us to be on mission. He wants us to understand that there is a harvest. He wants us to understand that that harvest is plentiful. He wants us to understand that this is worth our time and effort. And I don't care where you go in the world, whether you're in early Texas or whether you're in Qatar or whether you are in Ho Chi Minh City, okay, there is a harvest. And we're seeing the harvest in places that are gospel hardened and we are seeing the harvest in places where the gospel is being persecuted. There is a harvest. This is worth our time. Understand the abundance of the harvest. Understand the need for commitment. Love people. Walk alongside them and help them get back up when they fall. Be committed. But most of all, stay centered on that message. The reason Christianity is getting batted around in our culture today over all these different social issues and social justice issues is that we're trying to attack every social and political issue and we have lost the gospel and all that. And when we lose the gospel, we don't have a leg to stand on. So, of course, when we abandon the gospel, we're going to get beat. That'd be like having Emma Smith on your football team and never having a run play. It'd be like having Joe Montana and never throwing the ball. Didn't mean to go on football today, but hey! Here's the season, right? Um, stay on message. Guys, we're talking a lot about missions these days. One, because this is coming up in the scripture. Two, we're embarking on a mission project. But this teaching is not just for the sake of getting us to send a missionary to Barstow or getting us to hold an outreach event or a vacation Bible school. This is to remind each and every one of us, your pastor included, that we are all to be about the, the business of mentoring others Amen. into the faith and doing so by recentering on the gospel. Amen. Let's stand.